Turn with me in your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 John. 1 John. Now, as you're turning there, I want to remind you, <clears throat> it's been quite a while, the reason why John was writing what he was writing. The Christian church, or the new church, was under immense attack, both physically and spiritually. Those who had accepted Christ were, were leaving in mass numbers, and John was writing this to believers, that they would be encouraged. And tonight, I, I want us to be encouraged, not through me, but through the reading of God's Word. Amen? Now, several weeks ago, 28 to be exact, 28 weeks, we listened as John spoke of knowing God through love as we finished studying chapter 4. Now, much of what John spoke that night had already been said in earlier chapters and verses in his book. But John felt it necessary to revisit those thoughts with the last 12 verses of chapter 4. John implored his readers to love one another as this was proof to the world that we belong to God because God is love. He is a God of love. He implored, let me, let me say that again, he implored his, re, his listeners to love one another. That's something we should all do. And church, that's what we think in our minds that we do. Now, John told us that if we were truly part of God and we were, uh, if we were, truly, if, if we were truly a part of God and uh, that the world, I lost my place here. My eyes are going bad. Here we go. John told us that if we were truly a part of God and were an expression of his love, that we would love others the way the, the way that we are loved. That that thought should scare some Christians as we're selective in how we love. We, we, we love, uh, as we love others, that love must be earned, not freely given uh, in our thought. But John reminded us of how God loves us. That it's not how God loves us. That we are to love others the way God loves us. Tonight, we are going to start our, our study back in chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. Now, you might want to underline the word born, because we're going to hit that here in a few minutes. So, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the 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 parent also loves his child. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commandments. For, for this is what love for God is. To keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden. Church, you might want to underline that. His commands are not a burden. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for finally being able to come back into your house and study your word 
a little more extensively than we do on Sunday morning. Lord, thank you for those who've come, those who are listening online, those who will listen online. Lord, help us that we might glorify your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's children said, amen. <coughs> Y'all, please forgive me. My eyes are just blurry tonight, and I, I have lost my place several times. <coughs> the title of this chapter in the King James Bible is Keeping God's Commandments. Keeping God's commandments. And I, every different version might have this title different. Does any, any of y'all's versions say the same thing? Keeping God's commandments? Is that what it's titled? Okay. Now, this thought alone seems daunting as we know that the original commandments of God were impossible for man to keep. They were set in place for man to see them and to call out to God saying, Lord, we need your help. We need you. Tonight, we're, we're, we're going to see how our new relationship through Jesus and with Jesus now enables us to do what we could not do before. Keep the commands of God. Now, let, let me, let's, let's be thorough here. Again, the original commands of God, as we saw the original Ten Commandments, and they were set in place by God, and man looked at those original Ten Commandments, they, they were like, I can't do this. There's no way. I can't, I can't do this. I need God. And God says, you're exactly right. But now John is telling us that we can follow the commands or the commandments of God. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, how is it? How do we keep God's commandments? <clears throat> well, we see in verse 1 of chapter 5 something that's very, very clearly seen. We also see something that is not stated but must be understood. What is clearly seen is that we are born of God, that when we are born of God, we, we, we then recognize that Jesus uh, truly is the one and only Messiah. Now, we need to focus on the word born, as I said earlier. This word means to be brought into existence, to be alive, okay? Now, we all are alive, but all are we all spiritually alive? That, that's something we need to, to think about and, and consider in ourselves. When we accept Jesus as the Messiah, then and only then are we born and are we alive? You can, be, you can be alive breathing, but you're not spiritually alive. Not until you are born, until you accept Jesus as, as the Messiah, are you truly, truly born and alive. Now, this concept may sound easy, as we may be even wondering why John is placing such an emphasis on, on us understanding this. But, think, but things clear up... <clears throat> For John's emphasizing this, uh, this thought when, when we look at the other side of this verse. The part of this verse that is not stated but must be understood is that if a person has not accepted Jesus, this person, uh, it, it, if they haven't accepted Jesus as the one and only Messiah, they have not been born of God. They are not alive. So, so you get it when you accept Jesus as, as the Messiah, you're born, you're alive. You're more than breathing. God opens up what's truly inside of you that needs to be alive. But until you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you might be walking around and you might be breathing and your heart might be beating, but there is something inside of you that is dead. It's not alive. Y'all remember when you, before you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? 
Y'all remember how you were and how you came alive once you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Church, what this means is, is that There are still people who are dead and can't understand even the simplest ideals concerning God. They're dead because they've never become alive. They're dead because they've never been born. There's a guy right now, and I've made mention to him in times past. He, I think, is, is three years older than me. He is 53 years old. Went to school with him. He was the opposite of me. We, we celebrated, I remember being called in the, the, the uh, gymnasium when our SAT scores got back, and he was celebrated because he nearly scored a perfect 1,400 on the scale when it was, 1,400 was the top. Uh, just brilliant guy, brilliant, book smart. But when you start talking about things of the world, he, he, the, the bells and whistles don't come on. And, and I'm saying this to say this, because I'm not friends with him on social media. I couldn't be friends with him on social media. He's very confrontational. But we have friends in common. And when my friends write stuff, this guy, he responds with both feet on the ground that go immediately into his, his mouth. Because he has a book knowledge but he has no spiritual knowledge. And Miss Desi, this is what would happen with me. I would see some of the, the most idiotic things in the world that he would write, and he couldn't substantiate them with anything other than the worldly concepts and thoughts and opinions, and I would write Scripture. I would quote Scripture. And I'd get mad at, at a, a lot of times because he would say, I don't believe in your sky fairies. I, I don't believe... In, in your, your imagination and your imagined dragon in the sky. So this doesn't hold water with me. Scored nearly a perfect 1,400. But he's one of the dumbest people spiritually in this world. And, and I, it used to enrage me and bother me until I realized why he was the way he was. Part of it's his fault because he's never accepted Jesus as his personal Messiah, as his Savior. And because of that, he is a 53-year-old man who's alive, but he's dead. Y'all have heard the song, Dead Man Walking. He is a dead man walking. Why? Because he's never been born. And by that thought alone, it's helped me to understand. I need to pull back because he doesn't understand. He can't understand. He will never understand because he's never been born. John's writing this for the believers then because they were being persecuted. What did he want them to understand? It, the people who are persecuting you, it is their fault to a certain degree, but you've got to cut them a little bit of slack because they're dead. They're dead. They're, they've never been born. They don't understand you. You might understand them a little bit, but they don't understand you whatsoever at all. Now, the second part of the verse, of verse 1 can be a little hard to understand as it stands alone. But if you apply its thoughts with the first part of verse 1 and, and with what John wrote in chapter 4, it makes it a little bit easier to understand. What John is saying here may be pointing back to the Jewish nation as they say they love God, but the, but, but the one who claims 
to be his son. John tells his readers that it is impossible to, to be born of God and not love God's son. The two thoughts cannot be removed from each other. Look at verse 1, the second part of verse 1 again. It says, And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. Who is this? It's the Jewish nation. They say they love God. Oh, how we love God. When Jesus was alive and they were rejecting him, they were still singing the Ascension Psalms as they were walking into Jerusalem on the Passover. Brother Frank, they still said that they, oh, we, we love God. Oh, how we love God. But you can't. You cannot have a love for the Father and not love the Son. Now, think, where does that put the, 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 the Jews of the day? What, what kind of predicament are they in? They're in the same predicament as when Jesus preached it. You cannot say you love God and not love the Son. You cannot say you love God and not acknowledge the Son as the Son. You cannot turn your face to God and your back on Jesus Christ. You can't do it. You absolutely cannot do it. We see in, in verse 2 a qualifying. And y'all, pl- please, as you're, as you're reading through Scripture on your own, look for qualifying statements such as this. I would highlight them and under, underline them because it's important. It is, it is a... a very contextual as, as to what we're reading and how we understand the, the total verses that we're reading. Verse 2, there's a qualifying of who we are. What do you mean? Who we are as Christians. Who we say we are. Un- understand, you might say one thing, I, I am this, but it doesn't make, make you this, right? There's a qualification that makes you anything. And we see a qualif- qualification in verse 2. Uh, not that we think we are, as many people who attend church will, will think or will tell you, listen, that, that, that they have a love for God and, and the love for others the way God desires. God, uh, John gives them a qualifying that must be passed. Look at verse 2. He says this in verse 2. This is how we know that we love, that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commandments. There, there's your qualification. We can say, oh, I love everybody. I, I love everybody. But are you obeying and following God's commandments? Are you? John Phillips says this about verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. The two statements are interlocking. More yet, they are like a revolving door in a large skyscraper or building. Once you are in them, it is sometimes hard to get out. The cycle begins when there is new birth. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Belief puts us into the family. And once we are in the family, the wondrous, endless cycle begins. A cycle in which love is all in law, all, all in all. Now, does this mean that, that, that you're now perfect? <clears throat> no, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Absolutely not. But it means that you are obedient to the commandments of God. And when you fail, it, it, it does not take you long to, to realize that you failed and to get back up on your feet and get back to what God's called you to do. Amen? 
Now, we see in verse 3, John reiterates qualifications of truly loving God is to follow his commandments, and then he adds a little more. He says, now his commands are not a burden. You see, before they were. I don't know how old you were when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. I, I was 19, 18, 19. I think it was 18. It was 18, 18. I always, I have to go back and look. I think it was 18. But I had a lot of things in the back of my mind before I accepted Christ. Well, I'm going to have to give this up and do this and get this. And, and I, I, there was a list of do's and don'ts. And I, Jeff, it, it bothered me. It was burdensome. But after I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, it's not burdensome at all. It's not. It doesn't bother me at all. And that's what John is trying to get through tonight. Once again, we need to see that John is referring to the extensions and commands of God that the Jewish leadership had added. Y'all remember how they added and added and added to the original Ten Commandments to, to make the people compliant to their wishes and their ways? These extensions were and still to this day very burdensome to the Jewish believers. John also wants us to understand that when we are born into God by acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah and when we follow God's commands, we do this of the love that we now possess. The love, this, this love did not exist before our birth in Christ. It didn't. You mean to tell me that you loved everybody the way God told you to love him before Christ entered your life? Ain't no way. Some of y'all don't do it now. Some of y'all see these people, you know, walking up and down the road, and you, you don't, I mean, you, if they got hit by a car, you wouldn't stop. That, that's not the love of God. When, when Christ entered you, he turned on a love that you didn't have before. You didn't even know it existed before. And you started loving people. And Miss Donna, this, this is the craziest thing. I started loving people and I didn't even realize I was loving them. I didn't even know I was loving them. I didn't know I had compassion for them. I didn't know that things that they would do would break my heart. I mean, I thought I was still that, that hard-shelled, you know, manly man. And, and things would happen around me and, and the love of God would just turn on and say, you need to do something. You, you need to do something. Before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I, I never walked around and looked at children's shoes to see what kind of condition they were in. Do y'all do that? As you're looking around and you see children, look, look at their shoes. That'll tell a whole lot about what's going on at home. What they can afford and what they can't afford. I, I'll never forget, she came home from Awana one night when we were at our, our home church in, in Rock Hill and she said, we need to buy a pair of shoes for so-and-so. I can't even remember who it was now. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you didn't notice? Holes, tape. I mean, that wouldn't have bothered me years ago. But I saw that little child and it just melted my heart. Well, why is that? Because there's something in there now that wasn't there 10 years ago. What is it? The love of God that, God that John is talking about tonight. Now, John Philip uses Paul as the perfect example to verse 3. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> verse 3 says this. It says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. 
Now, his commands are not a burden. John Phillips says, Paul, once converted, was given the task in ministry that, that was seen as filth to the Jews and not understood by the Gentiles when he was told to go and minister to the Gentile nations. Now, we all know the adversity that Paul faced throughout his ministry for being obedient to God and the commands of God. What were Paul's thoughts at the end of his ministry concerning his faithfulness and, and to the commands of God, you might ask? Do, do, you, do you think, oh, you know, he, at the end of his ministry, he was like, I, I wish that I wouldn't have spent so much time doing all that I did. I, I wish that I would have lived life differently. I, I wish I wouldn't have given my all. I wish I wouldn't have gone in this direction or gone in that direction. Those weren't Paul's thoughts at all. Paul writes in Romans 12, chapter, uh, verse 2, he says this, God's will is good. Did you hear that, Deborah? God's will is good. We said that a little bit ago. God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Did he have any regrets? I'm sure, I mean, he had, all, all of us are going to have regrets. But did the commands of God burden him? Absolutely not. They made him who he was. Now, verse 4 may be one of my new favorite verses in all the Bible. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Our faith. Y'all might want to put a star beside that. Go back and read it two or three times and let that verse sink in. It is a powerful <clears throat> powerful verse. Church, do you know what this verse means? Since we were born in, in this world, this world has done everything it possibly can <coughs> to try and drag us to the pits of hell. But because of our faith in the Son of God, the Messiah, we have victory. And that victory conquered the world. Our faith extends a power from God that I do not feel we can ever totally conceive. Our faith leads in directions that the lost world will never know and can't understand. Do you understand that? <coughs> There's times when Amy and I... <coughs> We'll go downtown or we'll go different places or we'll go on vacation or we might be watching TV. And she'll look at me, Mr. Taylor, and she'll make this statement. She'll say, there's a whole nother world out there that we have no idea. It's just, you know, it's unbelievable. This world exists in the same world that we live in. Think about it. Right now, children are being trafficked to grown men in this world, probably in this neighborhood. There are grown men having sexual relations with children all over the same world that we live in. Is that not mind-boggling to you? In the same world that we live in right now, all over Savannah, all over Georgia, all, all, probably in this very neighborhood. There are people who are shooting drugs in their veins. And they don't want people to see the, the track marks. Trey, you can help me with this. So they'll shoot them under their fingernails, in between their fingers, in between their toes. This is going on 
right now in the same world that we live in. Is that mind-blowing? Church, we can't understand that. But they can't understand us either. They can't understand us. The world does not know who we are. That's sad. Even though, Brother Frank, there's a copy of God's Word everywhere in America. Do you know that any person who wants a Bible, all they have to do is tomorrow morning knock on the door and say, are you the pastor? Are you the pastor? Are you the secretary here? I need a, I need a copy of God's Word. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me since I've been in the ministry. Can I have a copy of the Bible? Absolutely. That's all it takes. Church, but they don't know because the light's never been turned on. John finishes this portion of our scripture by asking a question to his readers in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, And who is the one who conquers the world? but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's read that again. John says, And who is the one who conquers the world? Who is it? Who is it that conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Think of all the men who have tried to conquer the world with vast armies. Think of Hitler and, and Alexander the Great. Think of Alexander the Great, who when he thought that, that he had conquered all of the world, he gave up on, his, on life itself. None of the men you thought of have ever come close to conquering the world. But John says in our scripture tonight that the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has done that very thing. That's powerful. Do you know who that is? That's you. That, that is you. You have conquered the world, not by firing a shot, not by hitting a cannon, not by pulling a bow and arrow, not by doing anything but accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. Scripture says you have conquered the world. If you know Jesus, you've conquered the world. The question is now before you is this. Are you a world conqueror because you have accepted Jesus as the true Son of God. Does your love for others prove that you belong to Him? Remember, there was a qualifier. Everybody, oh, I love, oh, how I love Jesus. Yeah, okay, that's great. Everybody says they love Jesus. And if you truly do love Jesus, you have conquered the world. But how do I know if I've done everything that I need to do? Because the light is on and the love for others is in you and you can't turn it off. Do you have that love? Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you don't have us standing in the shadows. You have us standing in the light knowing what your word says. Lord, we pray that you would be with us right now during this time of invitation. If there's one here tonight who just needs to come down and spend some time with you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give them the freedom to do that very thing. In Jesus' name I do pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you need to come? The altar's open.